Welcome to the Faith Lakeside Podcast. Each week you'll hear another great message that will help you know God and make Him known in your life. Join us each Sunday at 1045 a.m. and throughout the week in small groups to make the most of your learning experiences. Now, sit back, relax with a great cup of coffee and a notebook and enjoy this week's message. TBN, you don't get that, but if you, sorry. Um, so Ken, I'm going to have to, this is going to be hard for me because I don't know where to hold it. Um, so, thank you, Nanette. All right, so a couple of quick announcements as we get started. Uh, men's breakfast is kind of a, a a late announcement, we realize, but men, all of you guys are invited to join us next Saturday morning, 8 a.m. in the fellowship hall. We're going to have breakfast together and begin a study in the book of Ephesians. So please come and join us. Uh, breakfast is provided. The study is going to be lit, and uh, the fellowship's always good. So come and, and join us 8 a.m. next Saturday. In two weeks, it's just two weeks away, is our Back to Church Sunday and uh, it's our opportunity once a year to invite folks who have not been attending church regularly or maybe who haven't attended church in a long season. And we've got invitations in the back in the form of air fresheners. Uh, and once again, uh, like I mentioned the last couple of weeks, why? Because we could. And it includes all the information for Back to Church Sunday and a quippy little um, thing that I created. And if you don't like it, then you can pull it off. But just uh, when life stinks, try church, right? Ha, air freshener, life stinks. You all get it. it. You shouldn't have to explain a joke that is so obvious. Uh, but here's the deal. is we, we got a hundred of them. And usually when you hand out a hundred invitations for a church thing, about 10% of people will respond. And so if we were to get 10 additional families and or individuals to join us in two weeks, that would really be a blessing for them and for us. And so I want to encourage you to grab one and just hand it to, to somebody you know and say, I, you know, I know you haven't been in church in a while. How about you join me? We're going to have lunch afterwards. We're going to have uh, pasta and, and um, meatballs and sausage and salad and, and other stuff. So come and, and join me. It's going to be a great Sunday. They'll hear a message that will remind them of the gospel and five reasons why it's important to engage in church. Uh, not as a guilt trip for somebody who hasn't been in a while, but just a loving reminder of why we think it's important for them to be with us as often as they can. So if um, these don't start disappearing, next Sunday you're getting one on your way out and you will be guilted into giving it away. So that, this, is, this is the nice one. Next week we might slip into legalism and say you're not saved if you don't invite somebody. Um, which isn't true, but it's the only card we've got left to play, right? It's not true. Uh, finally, I'm really excited, not just two weeks from now, but three weeks from now, we're going to be starting our Sunday Bible School, and it's going to change the focus of our fellowship just a little bit. We're going to be pouring some resources into time together the hour before the gathering from 9.37 to 10.30. Why 9.37? It's the compromise time between 9.30 and, 10, and 9.45, right? So 9.37. If I could get it, it'd be 9.37 and 30 seconds, and that would be the perfect compromise. 
but that's just really weird. So 937, join us for Sunday Bible School. We are going to have classes from everybody in kids, nursery to sixth grade. So uh, nursery, preschool, uh, up to uh, just about kindergarten, then kindergarten through third, and then fourth through sixth. We've got a youth class, so everybody in junior and senior high is going to be able to have teaching uh, for them. And then we've got three adult classes. Uh, doctrine, which I'll be teaching. Bible, which uh, Steve uh, will be teaching. And then women's, which Shelly will be teaching. And the women's is going to be exciting. Uh, going through some of the major women in the Bible and seeing their influence and their character and how that can impact you today. So some really good stuff. Bible doctrine and women's for adults so everybody has an opportunity to come and be discipled and grow in this hour so once again it's one of those things we're not going to say you're not saved if you don't come to bible school but man we would love to see you come and we're going to talk about it a little bit more here uh, as we look at the concept of sowing and reaping in Habakkuk so if you've got your bibles you can open them up to Habakkuk chapter 2, and just to to remind you to get back in the groove, you know, last week we talked about or or shared our statement on living by faith and some of the concepts that we thought were important to establish within our fellowship regarding the freedom in Christ for every individual believer to follow their conscience, especially as it relates to certain decisions regarding your body, that when scripture does not speak specifically, it's according to the leading of the Holy Spirit, and so... uh, This week, though, we're going to continue to kind of move through Habakkuk a little bit faster. So to get you back into the groove, remember Habakkuk's world is the kingdom of Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel. It had had evil kings for years. They were worshiping false gods, practicing witchcraft. They were sacrificing their children to false gods. There was great injustice. They had abandoned God's standards, and they were trusting in government over God, while they practice the oppression and killing of the innocent. And we can see parallels in the world. This, this kind of behavior has never ended. Evil and injustice has always continued. And Habakkuk has a special word for us as we watch the world continue through this cycle. So remember, this is God speaking to Habakkuk. This is an interaction between the prophet Habakkuk and God. It is not a message necessarily that God gave for somebody else through Habakkuk, but it's, it's really Habakkuk and God having a little bit of a discussion and a back and forth, and it begins with Habakkuk's complaint to God. God, why have you let the world get this bad? Why have you allowed Judah, the kingdom where I live, your chosen people, why have you allowed them to be so evil? And that's really the heart of what Habakkuk is asking God. And then God says, well, Habakkuk, listen, you're going to be amazed. I am going to judge the evil of Judah. I'm going to send somebody to make things right and bring justice on them. And it's going to be this really amazing group of people called the Chaldeans, the Neo-Babylonian Empire. And they are wicked and they are terrible and they are going to march across your land and destroy you. Isn't that encouraging? God, why is the world so evil? Don't worry, I'm going to wipe you out. And that's God's answer to Habakkuk. Don't worry, I'm going to wipe out this injustice. But Habakkuk's response is, God, why would you use such evil people to punish evil? Why would you use such wickedness to punish what is rightly wicked? But 
man, we're not near as bad as the Babylonians. And so God answers Habakkuk and says some specific things. He starts to describe the Babylonian Empire by saying, look, his ego, the Babylonian Empire, is personified here, is inflated. He is without integrity. And then a quick aside, God says, but you, Habakkuk, ones like you, the righteous one, will live by his faith. And then God continues to describe the Babylonian Empire in verse 5 of chapter 2. And he says this, Moreover, wine betrays. An arrogant man is never at rest. He enlarges his appetite like Sheol, and like death he is never satisfied. He gathers all the nations to himself. He collects all the peoples for himself. So God is describing Babylon to Habakkuk in this verse. And, and Habakkuk's probably like, well, yeah, God, I know that. They're wicked people. They are pagans. They are debauched. They are terrible. They go in and they destroy places. They take captives. They make people slaves. They, they, they completely overwhelm and possess a people. And so when God's describing Babylon the Babylonian Empire, to Habakkuk. This is not a surprise. But then God talks about, in the following verses, what he is going to do to the Babylonian Empire in light of their injustice. So the story doesn't end with God punishing the wickedness and injustice of his own people, the kingdom of Judah, who had abandoned his standards and abandoned his law and begun to walk in their own ways. But he wasn't just punishing them with Babylon, but the time was going to come when he was going to punish Babylon for their wickedness. And so God begins to describe to Habakkuk in the following verses, the ensuing verses, exactly what it's going to look like when Babylon is judged. So if you've got your Bible, Habakkuk chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 6 and continue... From there. So, sorry, this is really a challenge for me. The whole holding a microphone and a Bible. I'm not used to this. Who wants to, never mind. I was going to ask who wants to come hold my microphone, but somebody would volunteer and that would be really awkward. Um, so, yeah. Um, <laughs> so, chapter 2, uh, verses 6 and following. And this is, this is God describing the coming judgment of the unjust Babylonian Empire. So he, God says this, Woe, won't all of these take up a taunt against him with mockery and riddles about him? Sorry, I gotta turn the page now. See, this is why I handheld just it's hard for me. Maybe, maybe I'll deal with the awkward if something no. Um, God goes on to say, they will say. So he says in, in uh, verse six, the beginning. There's going to be a time where people are going to say this about Babylon. Woe to him who amasses what is not his. How much longer? And loads himself with goods taken in pledge. Won't your creditors suddenly arise and those who disturb you wake up? Then you will become spoil for them. Since you have plundered many nations, all the peoples who remain will plunder you because of human bloodshed and violence against lands, cities, and all who live in them. Woe to him who dishonestly makes wealth for his house, to place his nest on high, to escape the grasp of disaster. You have planned shame for your house by wiping out many peoples and sinning against your own self. For the stones will cry out from the wall, and the rafters will answer them from the woodwork. 
Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and founds a town with injustice. It is not, excuse me, is it not from the Lord of armies that the peoples labor only to fuel the fire and countries exhaust themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord's glory as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who gives his neighbors drink, pouring out your wrath and even making them drunk in order to look at their nakedness. You will be filled with disgrace instead of glory. You also drink and expose your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you and utter disgrace will cover your glory. For your violence against Lebanon will overwhelm you. The destruction of animals will terrify you because of your human bloodshed and violence against lands, cities, and all who live in them. What use is a carved idol after its craftsman carves it? It is only a cast image, a teacher of lies. For the one who crafts its shape trusts in it and makes worthless idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who says to wood, wake up, or to mute stone, come alive. Can it teach? Look, it may be plated with gold and silver, yet there is no breath in it at all. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let the whole earth be silent in his presence. So God is speaking to Habakkuk, and he tells Habakkuk there's going to come a time where all the peoples who have been oppressed by the Babylonian Empire are going to sing these woes. It's, a, it's actually an interesting thing that's going on here. A woe is usually, in, in the culture of this day, it would have been included in funeral songs or funeral dirges. And so some translations actually, instead of saying woe, they say, as good as dead is the person who... And so there is this pronouncement of both judgment and despair. And what we see here are these five woes then together are a parody of a funeral song. Normally when you would sing a funeral song, it would be in celebration of the person's life. It would be a lament over what is lost. But here, God is saying that people will sing a funeral song over Babylon and they will celebrate its destruction. In, in other words, it is a, oh, that's so bad, but we're so glad it happened to you. And, and uh, so there's a celebration that's coming as injustice is destroyed by the hand of God. So ultimately, the destroyed lament, not really, but kind of ingest the judgment of the destroyer. So these, these woes, these five songs are the people who have been destroyed and oppressed by Babylon, seeing the destruction of Babylon... And rejoicing in it in sort of a passive-aggressive way, almost like we're singing a funeral song. Um, And so these five woes, what they do is they reveal sinful actions that lead to judgment in accordance with that sinful action. So Habakkuk is hearing from God this, this story of how the day is coming when Babylon itself will be judged. The very country, the very... Uh, oppressor that God is using to judge Judah will one day be judged itself and these five woes are what will happen to it. Now there's this concept that we see throughout scripture that, that Habakkuk, uh, God is kind of using here and it's, it's called sowing and reaping. Anybody familiar with that idea in scripture? Uh, sowing is not clothes, it is planting seeds. And so when you plant a seed, if you plant a corn seed 
what should grow? Corn, right. In fact, if it's going to grow, it will grow corn, right? You will not plant a corn seed ever and get an apple tree. I mean, just period. It just doesn't happen that way, right? And so if you plant wheat, you get wheat. If you plant peas, you get peas sometimes. Um, if you plant nothing, you get volunteer tomatoes. You know, it's that, it just depends if you've got a garden. You kind of sometimes have seen this stuff happen. But, but what you plant, what you sow, is what you end up harvesting or reaping. The Apostle Paul writes to the church in Galatia, and he's actually talking about whether we follow the ways of the flesh or the ways of God, and he says this, Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, he will also reap. Because the one who sows to his flesh will reap destruction from the flesh. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. So there's this concept in Scripture that we're going to see in Habakkuk explained in a little bit of detail of what you do with your life, what you invest your life into, whether it's things for the flesh and personal gain or it's things for God and His glory, you will receive in this lifetime the harvest that that seed will always produce. In other words, you do evil, what are you going to get back eventually? Evil and judgment and the wrath of God. Where we plant seeds of goodness and service, uh, we, we receive from some people, potentially, goodness, but always from God, in the end, reward and blessing. And so this concept of sowing and reaping is what we're going to see in these five woes. So the first woe is chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. And we won't read each of the passages over again in detail, other than to kind of look at blocks and say, what is the thing that the Babylonian Empire has been sowing so that we can understand what they will reap? What seeds are they planting by their actions? So... Here is how God describes it in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 6. He says, Won't all of these take up a taunt against him with mockery and riddles about him? So he's, he's saying this is going to be the oppressed, mocking the oppressor when their judgment comes. Woe to him who amasses what is not his. How much longer? And loads himself with goods taken in pledge. Now we can see the Babylonian Empire was known for coming in and utterly destroying and taking everything of value. When they eventually destroy the city of Jerusalem and the temple, they took all of the temple implements, all of the tools for the worship of God, the the golden this and the golden that and the brazen this and that, and they took it all up and took it all back to Babylon to celebrate their victory. They, they were known for taking things that were not theirs, for defiling other gods, for, for making little of the people that they captured in, in an effort to, to bring them into their culture. So the Babylonian Empire was known for taking what was not theirs and, then, and loads himself with goods taken in pledge. It is a practice of lending money out and then taking things as um, collateral. Right? And so the, the Babylonian Empire and their practices, one of, of loaning out things but taking as collateral things that were not theirs. 
And so we see in this, this one little passage that the Babylonian Empire was known for their greed. Can you see that there? You can see this greed, this desire to amass more, to have more wealth and, and shiny possessions in order to, to be able to, to call yourself wealthy and, and blessed. And, and so we see this greed in the Babylonian Empire. And here's what God says they're going to receive for their greed. There's going to come a day when creditors will suddenly arise up and they'll wake them up and they will, they'll become spoiled for the, their creditors. Now, he's not necessarily talking about actual banking practices, but instead, the creditors, those are the ones that the Babylonians have wronged. And the nations that they've wronged will rise up against them and bring to them the debt that they owe, justice. Since you have plundered many nations, all the peoples who remain will plunder you. God says of the Babylonian Empire, everything you took will be taken from you and more. Because of human bloodshed and violence against lands, cities, and all who live in them. So what God promises the Babylonians for their greed is that they will lose everything. When you sow the seed of greed and possessions above all else and at any cost, God warns through the Babylonian example, all that awaits is total loss. The second woe, chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. Verse 9, God talks to us about exactly what it is the Babylonian empire had been doing, what seed they had been planting. So here's this second seed that they are sowing. Woe to him who dishonestly makes wealth for his house to place his nest on high to escape the grasp of disaster. So we see a couple of things in here, wrapped up in here. Of course, there's this dishonest wealth. But why is wealth pursued here? Well, it's to make a name for themselves. It is to make a kingdom, a dynasty that is long-lasting. To establish for themselves security at all costs. Security. Isn't that a word that we can kind of relate to? In days like today, where it seems like we are willing to sacrifice anything and everything for the sake of security. Where, where we want to escape every disaster at any cost. And this is how the Babylonian Empire had been living and, and doing. They wanted to make their dynasty great. They wanted to make the kingdom great. And so at every turn, no matter the cost... No matter what it took, they were looking to establish for themselves security. Now, there is then this seed of security and a dynasty and longing to be a name and a power that they're planting. That this is their focus. And God says this to them. You have planned shame for your house. By wiping out many peoples and sinning against your own self. In other words, your very quest for security, your very quest to make a name for yourselves, is what is, will purchase for you shame. Your very quest to be you, you know, safe and, and, and whatever it takes to be safe will be the thing that will be sinning against your own self. 
setting the stage for your own self-destruction. And then he goes on to, 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 to speak metaphorically. For the stones will cry out from the wall, and the rafters will answer them from the woodwork. The very things that you built to establish your security will become a reminder of just how frail your life is. And they'll become a constant reminder of the things that you did at any cost in order to establish that security. That's what God is saying to the Babylonian Empire, and it's what he's speaking to us. So what is the result, what is the fruit of security at all costs? Devastation and a lasting guilt. Walking into the very things that you thought would save you and seeing in them a reminder of how you fell short and sinned and did wrong in the eyes of God. So, two woes, two different seeds, two different harvests, but God's not done describing what's going to happen to the Babylonians. This third woe, chapter 2, Verses 12 through 14. God says the song will be sung of them this way. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and founds a town with injustice. You see, the Babylonians, once again, were well known for their building projects. They loved to build new things. Nebuchadnezzar, actually, um, some of us might be familiar with the, the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, you know, one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. Um, he built that for one of his wives, allegedly. And, and they would always build things to celebrate victories. They'd build things to celebrate uh, birthdays and weddings. And it, they were just known for their building projects. And God says there's going to come a day where the things that you built based on bloodshed and injustice and unrighteousness will come to bear fruit. And so this seed that they're planting, injustice and unrighteousness, here's what God says will happen to them. Is it not from the Lord of armies? Now, we can look at that first phrase. Is it not? <clears throat> that first phrase is, is a... Um, it's a rhetorical kind of question. Is it not? What do you think the answer is? Yes, it is. It is from the Lord of armies, God himself, that the peoples labor only to fuel the fire and countries exhaust themselves for nothing. In other words, God is saying to the Babylonians, all that hard work you did, all those beautiful cities you built, those hanging gardens, which were not about people, but, you know, um, Hanging vines and stuff. That sounds weird. Sorry. Um, it wasn't a punishment place. It was a place of beauty is what it was supposed to be. All that stuff you built, it's going to come to nothing. It's worthless. All these hours you had people put in, building up your name, establishing cities, establishing all of this stuff, it's going to come to nothing. And then God says this, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord's glory as the water covers the sea. Babylon was building cities and buildings to glorify themselves. And God says, all of that's going to come to nothing. But guess what? My glory will be known by everyone. My glory will be known by all of mankind in the same way that the water covers the sea. Now, you might wonder, how does the water cover the sea? 
completely, doesn't it? I mean, it's like, it's all water. Because if it wasn't water, it wouldn't be sea. And this is just this beautiful picture of Babylon trying to make a name for itself that comes to nothing. And God, just by his nature, is glorified and has a great name, even as the water covers the sea. So, what is the fruit of this injustice and unrighteousness in city building? It is futility. Futility. But ultimately, it's also God's glory. God wants us, through Habakkuk, to learn a lesson. He will always be glorified. His glory will always be known. It cannot be hidden. It cannot be overwhelmed. It cannot be superseded. God will always be glorified. And we need to understand that when we read the Bible from the very beginning to the very end, it is a story both of salvation for the people that he loves and of his glory. And the the fact that he deserves all the worship and all the praise and all of the honor and for all of us to fall down at on our face at his feet. So the result of injustice and unrighteousness in the lives of the Babylonians is going to result in is going to be complete futility, everything they've worked hard for coming to nothing, and yet God will be glorified even in this. The fourth woe, verses 15 through 17. Woe to him who gives his neighbors drink, pouring out your wrath and even making them drunk in order to look at their nakedness. Now, we read this and kind of go, huh? Because, I mean, nobody really wants to do that. I've seen my neighbor dressed, and there ain't no way I'm giving him something extra to try and, you know, do otherwise, right? But God is not speaking, uh, literally, this is a metaphor once again. It's speaking of giving your neighbors both license to behave any way they like, but also forcing them to behave in a way that brings about their shame. So it's both an enabling bad behavior and a forcing them to experience shame by your own bad behavior as it relates to the Babylonians. And so they would go out and they would, they would make the peoples that they captured do shameful things. They would, they would belittle them. They would, they would make things terrible for, for the people that they captured as they crushed their cultures. And so the desire to look at their nakedness is not a literal nakedness so much as it is a metaphor for abject shame. And so the Babylonians were doing this as a means of making themselves feel important. It was a pride. Any, anybody ever, you know, known somebody that was like that? In, in middle school, we used to have these cut-down fights. And, you know, I mean, it was like, I'd be your dad, but my dog beat me over the fence and things like that. Sorry, that was weird. But that's the kind of stuff we'd say. It was like, you know, uh, you'd, you'd say that kind of stuff to friends to, to tell them, I'm better than you. And it was always about shaming them. And it was always about trying to lift myself up. Okay, maybe I was the only one who used that one, but I had friends who tried. But, you know, we, your mama jokes, right? Everybody was familiar with your mama jokes, right? Maybe you're not. I won't tell any tonight or today because, you know, we, this is right, because maybe your mama is beloved to you. But it was always about this trying to, to be better than others at any cost. And this is the kind of the mindset the Babylonians have. 
We want to shame everyone and put everyone down so they know just how amazing we are. And here's what God says that pride will reap for them. You will be filled with disgrace instead of glory. You also drink and expose your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you and utter disgrace will cover your glory. For your violence against Lebanon will overwhelm you. The destruction of animals will terrify you because of your human bloodshed and violence against lands, cities, and all who live in them. In other words, this desire by the Babylonian people to shame everyone else and lift themselves up, it's going to result in them being disgraced. And them experiencing shame as God reveals just how sinful and unrighteous they are. That's what it means by exposing your uncircumcision. Exposing that you're just heathens and pagans that God happened to use. But your time is coming. The cup in the Lord's right hand isn't about wine, it's about wrath. And the wrath and judgment of God will be poured out on these prideful Babylonians. This is what they will receive as payment for, as fruit from, as the harvest of their pride. Now he does talk about Lebanon. Lebanon is where they would have um, harvested a lot of cedar trees to do all the things that they built. talks about the destruction of animals and destruction of their homes and stuff. And, and this is, the, the Babylonian people were so evil, so despicable, that the whole world will have things against them. And so in response to the pride, the, the results of pride will be, according to God, shame and wrath and disgrace. This is what sowing in pride will reap. The fifth woe, last one, and this is probably the one that um, is most specific and yet general in some ways and applies to us in our culture pretty directly. What use is a carved idol after its craftsman carves it? It is only a cast image, a teacher of lies. For the one who crafts its shape trusts in it and makes worthless idols that cannot speak. So we haven't gotten to the woe yet. That's going to come in the next verse. But God is calling out the Babylonians for their false gods. He's saying, you carve gods for yourself that are worthless. Anybody ever seen a little statue speak? You go into the Chinese restaurant, does Buddha talk to you? If he does, you need to revisit some things in your life. Um, cause, or the little cat that waves. Then, Hi, eat a lot. Um, does that work? Does that happen? No, not it doesn't, but we, we, we've got a God instead that is real, a God that is powerful. The Babylonians were serving false gods of their own making. And God says this to them, Woe to him who says to wood, wake up, or to mute stone, come alive. Can it teach? Look, it may be plated with gold and silver, yet there is no breath in it at all. This worship of false gods will achieve for the Babylonians nothing but worthless truth, in quotes. So many people in Babylon and in our culture today build their lives upon lies, upon things that are worthless, and they count them as true because some false god told them it's true, but they're not. And here's God's final statement. 
gotten through the five woes, the, the sin that they planted, the, the things that they reaped in response, and God says this of himself, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let the whole earth be silent in his presence. Understand, God will be glorified and reign forever. So even as destruction will come upon the Babylonian Empire, even as all of these woes that are planted sins bear fruit and become harvested consequences, God will always be glorified and He will reign in all things. And so might we then begin to, instead of looking to these other things, look to God first. Seek Him before all other things. History lesson, real quick. The Neo-Babylonian Empire is ended in less than 100 years. It rises to power. It is evil and wicked. God uses it to punish the chosen people of Judah for their disobedience. And then within about 60 years after that, it is destroyed by the next great empire. 539 B.C. is when it ended. Daniel chapter 5, if you wanted to see the end of the Babylonian Empire, what's recorded as the end, it's a story of um, one of Nebuchadnezzar's, I think, grandsons having a party and using the sacred temple instruments to drink out of, to celebrate pagan gods, and to have a party celebrating how great the Babylonians are, and a hand appears and writes on the wall, mene mene tekel parsum, you've been weighed and found wanting. In other words, you're not good enough. And that very night, they were destroyed. That's Daniel chapter 5. It's pretty cool. Uh, By the way, handwriting on the wall, if you see handwriting on the wall, Biblically, that's a very bad thing. Just, just you know, they saw the handwriting on the wall. That means your life's ending that night in, in the Bible. So it's not a cool thing. You don't want to see handwriting on the wall. Don't wait for handwriting on the wall as a sign from God. Uh, instead, listen to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. So the Neo-Babylonian Empire, this, these evil people that sowed all of these unrighteous and terrible things, they reaped the consequences of that, and that was the end of their empire within hundred years. So these five woes. And I realize this is kind of, this, this passage, it was kind of like this information dump in a way. It hasn't been really like, ooh, exciting. But now we're going to bring it home. Now we're going to bring it to bear on us. Because all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, according to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. And if that's the case, then this, these This song of taunt, these five woes that God says apply to the kingdom of Babylon. When we read them, then there must be something there for us. There must be something that we can apply to our lives today. And when we look at the situation in Habakkuk, and we see just how much the world then parallels the world now, then the lessons in Habakkuk are probably pretty relevant for us today. And the truth is, is it's not just the wicked and unrighteous out there that need to be concerned about the the sowing 
of choices and what we do with our life and what the consequences will be. But it isn't, it's also God's people right here need to be aware that this still holds true for us. We not, may not be as wicked and unrighteous as Babylon or Judah or, or the people across the street. I don't, I don't want to point fingers because you might know somebody across that street. But you know what I'm saying, right? We're not as bad as those people. Yes, but are you walking in righteousness? Or when you read these five woes, these things that God says to the Babylonian Empire, you have planted this by your choices and your actions, and so you will receive the harvest of those things. When you read these things that they planted, do you see anything about your own life, your own culture, your own choices reflected in these? Because in all honesty, when we look at our culture, when we look out at, at what it means to be American, you know, what it means to be a citizen of the United States, you can almost look at some of these and go, this is like the top five for us. This is the American dream. We want to have things. We want to be safe. We, we want to pursue the building of, of recognition at all costs. We want to be meaningful. We, wanna, we want people to know us. We want to step on the backs of others to achieve our own dreams. And we build for ourselves false gods. Now, very few of us, especially that last one, false gods, very few of us will worship an idol that looks like a little person. But a lot of us worship idols with four walls and a roof or four wheels and a steering wheel. So that'd be five wheels. Eh, sorry, it's just, you know, you got to work it through sometimes, right? Uh, I, I mean, some of us, some of us worship the, the, the beautiful or the not so beautiful person that we're in a relationship with. <laughs> you, you know, figure that out yourself. Am I the beautiful one or the not so beautiful one? I wonder. False gods are certainly the most prevalent in this list, but all of these could describe any of us at any time. As we pursue the American dream, as we pursue modern culture. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. This is the best country in the whole world to live in. I, I mean, I, I don't wave flags very often because I'm not, I don't want to conflate spirituality with patriotism. But man, this is a great place and God has blessed us richly. But we can be led astray by the culture that is so pervasive to falling into planting in our own lives seeds of each of these things. And so I want you to be honest as you, 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 you mull over God's word as you read these woes. They're not just for Babylon. They could be for you today. If you're planting these things... God is so very clear that you will harvest. And if you do not repent and turn from what you're planting and choose to plant better and plant differently in your life, God is saying to all of us today, you might, in fact, you will harvest the same consequences as what I had for the Babylonian Empire in Habakkuk's time. If you plant in your life nothing but greed, don't be surprised if in the end all you experience is loss. If that's your whole focus, 
Don't be surprised. And guess what? You might make it all the way through this side of life and be okay, but when you see Jesus face to face, you'll understand that you missed out because you planted the wrong thing. If you are all about security, you're all about safety, you are all about avoiding everything at all costs, ultimately devastation could be visited upon you. Right? Do you see that? Do you see in our culture how we're willing to trade anything just to be safe? And ultimately, we're going to find ourselves devastated. If you're willing to, to do what it takes to build up and do so in injustice and unrighteousness, you're going to find that all of your works are futile. Now, very few of us are building cities nowadays, but a lot of us are building our own little kingdoms. And we build them at work, and we build them at home. And if we're willing to do anything it takes in order to build our kingdom, you will find that your kingdom will fall and will be futile. I mean, it's just a guarantee. What you plant is what you will harvest. What you sow is what you reap. If you are living a life of pride and putting others down, you will reap shame and wrath. If you are worshiping false gods, and remember, they don't have to look like Buddha. They can look like a Volkswagen Tiguan red. It's really sweet. I love driving it. Take it through the car wash way too often. Right? But we can, we can fall prey to false gods like that. We can fall prey to so many false gods. We can pray fall, to, fall prey to false gods that, that look like achievement in the world's eyes. We can pray, fall prey to false gods that sports. Sports is a big thing. And, and some of you are more sports-oriented than me. I played, I was on chess team in high school, right? Um, so, check. I mean, that's me giving my best example of my sporting career. Um, kicked a ball into a goal once in eighth grade. Had to get off the field because I was breathing so hard. <laughs> right? I mean, that's just, that, that's me. I was, I was killer. But in our culture, it's so easy to fall prey to physical fitness. Now, that doesn't mean go eat donuts the rest of your life, but making a god of your own body, making a god of your own achievements. It's one of those false gods that's lifted really high. We should not be surprised if we lift up these false gods that we find the lives of ourselves and the ones that we encourage into those false worship practices to be worthless in the end. I'll be honest, I'm, uh, I try not to be too harsh, but I'm really looking forward to Sunday Bible School. And, and here's why. It's an opportunity for each and every one of us to plant the right seeds in our own life, in the lives of our children, in the lives of our loved ones. And it's not that all of us are terrible and we're doing bad things all the time, but a lot of us, we're just kind of muddling through life and we're not intentionally planting good seeds or we are unintentionally planting some of these five woes that God has already said will harvest bad things. And so I want to encourage you to join us for Sunday Bible School in three weeks and start planting the right seeds in your life, in the life of your children, in the life of your loved ones, in the life of your friends that you're going to invite to join you. 
Because I, I understand. So Shelly and I have parented how many kids now? Oh, yeah, we're on our third one, finishing her up. Um, she's at her grandparents'. I was hoping she could just stay from now on and we'd be done. But no, she's coming back tomorrow. Anyway, um, we've done three. We know what it is to get them out of bed. We know what it is to try and feed them. Actually, Shelly knows what it is. <laughs> I, I usually got up early and went to church and, you know, did pastory things. Shelly knows what it is. I know what it is, though, to support her and to tell my kids, I don't care. You don't have a choice. Now, I don't want you to hate God, and I'll give you some flexibility as you get older. But you're eating my food. You're living in my house. You're clothed because of me. You're coming to church. You're going to Sunday school. You're going to have a good attitude, or at least be quiet. That doesn't always work. Justice bit a girl on her back and threw a chair in Sunday school. So we understand it could be a little damaging and caustic sometimes. Anyway, I digress. I don't want to waste your time. But I do want you to, to grasp that I think this is a good seed potential for you. But I also want you to think about the, the whole of your life today. I want you to think about what seeds are you planting. Now, there can be other seeds. If you turn back to Galatians chapter 6 and then look a little bit earlier in chapter 5, we see some of the seeds that could be planted in our life, whether to the spirit or to the flesh. And then Habakkuk gives us five other seeds that we could mistakenly plant in our life, and these are the results of those seeds. And I honestly want to encourage you to look at your life because I know I need to be looking at mine. And I'll just give you one quick example from me and my family. I like to critique the world around me. And, and some of you might call that being negative, and some of you might call it being um, condescending. Um, I, I just have a bad habit. I'm not like judging people, but I, and, and I don't do it to church family, but you know, I go to the mall and I just make fun of people. Right? I mean, I don't just watch. It's like, that's weird. That's dumb. Why would somebody make that choice? You know, kind of thing. I've always been like that. I've always practiced seeing the negative as a means of joking about life. That makes sense. So it's not just about people. It's about the day. It's never perfect. I'm going to find what's wrong and then make a joke about it. I've planted that seed... Our oldest child is 24. He'll be 25 this next year. Planted that seed in the life of my children. And you know what's happened? They're negative. And I struggle with some days trying to turn their hearts in a proper direction. No, stop being so negative. Find the hope in this, son. Find the joy in this, daughter. Find the positive in this wife because I've planted so many seeds of, of negative. And for me, it was about joking. For me, it was about trying to find a way to laugh in kind of a dark and twisted way. But what it ended up producing, fruit, the harvest has been negativity in my family. And a struggle for people I love to see life through a proper lens. Now, you 
have things that you've been planting. You, as you watch harvests come in, in job, in home, in family, in your own personal walk with God, if you honestly look at things, you can probably find some stuff not on this list that you've been planting. And you won't be surprised that you're starting to harvest the consequences of it, and they're not good. So, join with me. Consider plowing up the fields, destroying the seed that you've already put in the ground, and begin to plant new and good and right practices and things so that the day will come. You don't know if it'll be soon or later, but the day will come that you will harvest good things to the glory of God and the benefit of your own spiritual life. So a couple questions as we finish today. What are you sowing in your own life, in the life of your family, in the life of your friendships and work? What are you sowing? What kinds of attitudes, what kinds of practices are you sowing into your life? in the lives of others around you. And in all honesty, what do you expect to reap? Because if you're expecting to plant garbage things and reap blessing, you're fooling yourself. If you expect to plant into your children and your relationships, worship of false gods and a, a pride and, and greed and, and that good things will come out of that, you're lying to yourself and to them. If you expect to plant the seed of self-serving and unrighteousness in your spiritual life and hope that God will bless you anyway, you're lying to yourself and it's time to change the seed. It's time to till up the soil, destroy what's already been planted and plant new things. Because I'm going to tell you, God will not be mocked. He will instead be glorified and reign forever. And you can't trick him. It's not like you're going to go, well, God, no, really, it was all good seed when you've been planting garbage your whole life. It's, you're not going to come to the, the moment where you can say, oh, God, no, really, I promise it was good stuff. You, I mean, why are you judging me? No. In the end, he will be glorified and he will reign. He will not be mocked. Whatever a person sows, he will also reap. Because the one who sows to his flesh will reap destruction from the flesh. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. I love you all. I want to see you harvesting good things. Consider the seed that you're sowing. And join with me in coming weeks and months as we work harder to plant good seed in our own lives and the lives of those we love here in our fellowship. Would you join me as we pray together? Father, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for your love for us and how you have given us this clear teaching in your word that what we plant in, in our lives, what we plant in our children, what we plant into our relationships and our jobs 
the kinds of attitudes and practices and beliefs that we plant in those areas will always produce a harvest that is in accordance with what we've planted. When we plant greed and unrighteousness and false worship and pride and security above all else, we will reap those negative consequences that you gave the Babylonian Empire. But when we plant things that are good and holy and righteous and glorifying to you, when we help our children to understand the importance of their faith and their walk with you and gathering together with others, as we help our our co-workers understand the importance of honesty and integrity and doing our best no matter what, we know that there will be a harvest of good things because of the good seed that we've planted in our lives. And so, Father God, we pray that you would help us to look honestly at our planting practices, to look honestly at the fields in our life and decide if we need to do some, some repenting, some tilling up and destruction of the old so that we can plant new things. It's never too late for us to begin to plant rightly. And so, Lord, convict us, strengthen us, and guide us as we work to glorify you in who we are and what we do. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. If you've got questions, if you need to talk about something you've been sowing or something that you're reaping now that you need help through. Don't hesitate to come and find me or one of the other elders or leaders. We so want to be able to share life with you in any way you need. Let's stand and worship together in song as we close our time.
God bless all of you on your week as you consider what you're planting, as you consider is what I'm harvesting a result of what I planted a few years ago and what might I change to receive something different, to achieve something different in my life? What do I need to plant differently? Monday night Bible study tomorrow night, right? Even though it's Labor Day. Wednesday, ladies' ministry will be meeting. Thursday night, student ministry, 7th through 12th grade. Love to see all of you there who are it's appropriate for. Um, others of you, they have good games, but you don't belong there. And then, of course, next week, Sunday morning, Sunday school, and we'll continue actually wrapping up. We'll finish up Habakkuk next Sunday. So you can read ahead to chapter 3 and see what Habakkuk has to say in response to God's promise that he will bring about a harvest in accordance with what is sown. We'll see Habakkuk's response next week. So God bless you all. If you have any questions or concerns, don't hesitate to ask.